Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another week. Fantasy NBA Today, sometimes fantasy, sometimes NBA, and oftentimes today. I am your host, Dan Vespris. It's Monday, June the 12th. Float along almost halfway through another month. Friday was, of course, two months from the end of the NBA regular season. And the playoffs continue, although they could come to an end tonight. We'll spend a little bit of time talking about the Nuggets and the Heat. Denver going for the series-clinching win here at Game 5 at home uh, before we transition into a full off-season mode. That's what's coming up here. I mean, I guess we could... Selfishly, I hope there are additional basketball games, but also this series kind of felt like we knew how it was going to go more or less from the outset. I'm Dan Baspris, by the way. I can't remember if I said that here. This is a Sports Ethos presentation. Shout out to all the amazing folks doing amazing work here at Sports Ethos, and I do that because the top story today is not about fantasy basketball, and frankly, it's not even that much about regular basketball, although it is somewhat tangentially related and that is that the athletic has now become a victim of the same old cycle the same old storyline that's been hitting uh, a lot of the larger sports media mega groups over the last calendar year following in the footsteps of vox who i think they got rid of a ton of their team blogs uh, NBC, who wiped out almost the entire fantasy basketball division. They have a number, uh, they have a handful of names left over there, but of course, uh, and many of them are, are still excellent, by the way. I don't want to seem like I'm dogging anybody, uh, but obviously the, um, the release of a lot of the sort of founding father types. Um, I think there's another one. What was the other one that happened like two or three months ago? I can't even remember. I believe this is the fourth now in this long run at the athletic laying off some five ish percent of their writers. And then another 5% are being sort of reallocated. Forget whether it's probably an industry term for that, that I'm mucking up because I'm not a traditional journalist. I'm a guy who yells into a microphone. Don't confuse me with people who do actual labor for their work. Uh, and it sucks because not only is the, the layoff part annoying, um, because largely that's happening in the baseball, hockey, and then to a slightly smaller degree, the NBA landscape. I think the Sixers beat writer got laid off, the Cavs beat writer. So it's not, NBA is not without getting dinged here. But also a number of folks at The Athletic are being reassigned to more national stories, which was kind of the point originally of the website was to avoid that Basically, what this is, is sign number one or two or three or whatever you want to call it, that that website is starting down the path towards just trying to be another ESPN or Yahoo Sports or Fox Sports or whatever, which is we only tag the things that are going to try to draw eyeballs. We're going to clickbait it. And then, unfortunately, there are some very talented folks over there that are going to get caught up in this. You say things like this on a podcast and people are like, oh, you're... Dogging those dudes now, too. No. It's the financial structure that I'm dogging. Because this is a website that got bought, got sold, maybe I should say. And then you knew that eventually something was going to change about it. And um, 
So that stinks. Now, that said, uh, you know, we don't have the resources here at Sports Ethos to, like, turn ourselves into a new iteration of The Athletic, but or what The Athletic wanted to be, but certainly that's what we would like to do. So I put this out there with zero expectations. If anyone wants to be a part of a minimal resources, I mean, we're a startup, you know, we don't have... We don't have VC money here at Sports Ethos. But if somebody wants to be a part of something that aspires to be what The Athletic was briefly before investing way too much money, selling it uh, to the highest bidder, and then changing things considerably, um, hit me up here at Dan Vespers on Twitter or email roster at sportsethos.com. We're looking for folks that want to cover individual teams in a special way talking to people in those organizations, getting the fun stories, doing podcasts about that stuff. That's what our pod division in particular plans on being. And we have a lot of really good team coverage out there. And uh, we'd love for you listeners or anybody you know, frankly, or hell, I don't know, maybe someone that's been a part of one of these other websites, the the fan-sided stuff, the athletic stuff, whatever. Maybe you guys are still looking for something to do. Come join us. Again, I know we can't support your family. We can't support whatever lifestyle it was that The Athletic was able to do because of their seemingly unlimited resources that we're learning now are maybe a little bit more limited than they had let on. But you can be a part of growing something special. I know it's not a great sales pitch. It wasn't designed to be. But look, we're still small. Let's do something that grows together. Or not. It is what it is. Another crummy day in the land of being a uh, sports journalist. I guess I'm happy that uh, fantasy sports still has this many people doing it. Anywho. uh, On today's docket, before we get too deep into any other uh, NBA stuff, on today's docket, we're going to talk Game 5 Heat and Nuggets. Nuggets continue to kind of lay it on Miami, winning both games in South Beach to, I think, no one's surprise. And I have, good lord, I have so much beef. One of the dumbest things I have ever heard was said after the Nuggets lost game two. And I think, I think it was, I think it was the ESPN radio morning show. I don't think it was the Dan Patrick show. Maybe it was. It was a guest on one of those shows. And I can't remember who it was. But they said something so painfully stupid that, I was just like, oh, this is a person that's being... I think the guest was like a national member of the media too. Someone that like covers the whole NBA. And in that moment, I was like, oh my God. Even the biggest, most powerful names, some of the the most respected names in, in national basketball journalism haven't the first bleeping clue what's been going on. And what was said was... And I can almost quote this. This is this is like a very near quote, so it's a slight paraphrasing. What was what was said was basically, "Oh well, Denver lost Game Two. We can't help it if Denver had an easy path to these finals, and they're finally being challenged for the first time." It was one of the stupidest things that I have ever heard. Okay, that's an exaggeration. It, it is it a very dumb thing though. Anybody that watched these playoffs actually watched them. Saw De- and and was just like and Miami had the harder path. Okay, first of all, Miami had the harder path by seeding. That's true. They had to play the Bucks along the way. 
They had to get through Boston along the way. They had to get through the Knicks along the way, but I don't think anybody's throwing that one in the mix. Okay, fine. You could argue the Bucks and the Celtics were a harder matchup on paper than the Suns and the Lakers. Uh, I don't even who the hell did the Denver have in the first round. Oh, the Timberwolves. But if you watched these series, if you actually watched them, the teams that have played actual playoff basketball, like serious, on this podcast we refer to it as serious versus unserious basketball. The teams that have played serious basketball in these playoffs, the ones that stuck to their guns and made adjustments were, and I'll do this from, from the cutoff line for me, the teams that cleared the threshold were the Warriors, were the least serious among the serious teams. This is this is the upper tier. Were the Warriors, the Lakers, the Heat, and the Nuggets. I watched I watched almost every game of these playoffs. Lord, I, as many as I possibly could. Yeah, you can't watch every single one of them. Those are the four teams that looked like they belonged, that played with a purpose, that played with a style, stuck to it, made proper adjustments, didn't fold under the pressure, didn't over-rely on one thing. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. And so when you talk about like, oh, did Denver have an easier path? Yeah, they went through lower seeds to get there. But I would argue that Denver beat the second most serious team in the playoffs in the Western Conference Finals. And that was the Lakers, and they swept them. This, by the way, is not me being a homer. This is watching the games. The Lakers were playing a serious brand of basketball. It was not, you know, it wasn't a a coincidence that they came out of a low seed and then just started beating up on teams in front of them. It was not a coincidence. It wasn't just like things were easy and so they did it. Honest to goodness, I didn't really see anybody in the Eastern Conference besides Miami playing serious basketball. There were little stretches. Boston, for a couple of games against the Sixers, played serious basketball. But for the most part, they were just like, you know what? We're going to make more three-pointers than our our opponent. Everything's fine. They didn't really make key moves. They were just relying on sheer talent. And it didn't work. You can't just sit on talent. And the reason I think that that statement, coming back to the original start of this conversation, was so dumb is that if this member of the national media had actually watched what the Nuggets had to do to get to this point, 
they would have known that that Game 2 loss was them for the first time really since, I would argue, early in the Phoenix series. That the Nuggets were just kind of like, meh, we'll just deal with it when we deal with it. They started to feel too good. They started to basically feel like they could just play at, you know, B-level basketball and win an intense playoff game. Every once in a while, human nature, again, we talked about this late last week, it's human nature, every once in a while you just need to get kind of slapped in the face to remember, oh, right, yeah, gotta gotta play hard. That's what the Lakers series was. That was like a four-game repeated slap to the face. Nuggets knew they had to go full bore every second of every game in that one. And they just took their foot off the gas for one game here in the finals. And so this, I mean, this was not a, like, this was an interview. You don't have to be clickbaity on an interview. And this person saying, oh, well, they just had an easy path to get there. So now they're going to be tested. And then they come back and they just wax Miami twice in Miami. Nuggets are very, very good. They are the best team in the NBA. And they are probably going to finish that off tonight. As far as the actual game goes, Nuggets are an 8.5-point home favorite, total of 209.5. Side is actually down from 10 to 8.5, which makes a lot of sense in a potential closeout game. You figure the Heat are going to give every last ounce, and the only way this game ends outside of a of a 10-digit spread is if the Nuggets pour it on early. And even then, you figure the Heat will probably make some kind of run. Now, the thing that I was not thrilled about is that, remember on uh, Friday we talked about how my hope was that with that total sitting at about 20 it was like 210 and it was slowly moving up i said i don't think we have enough i don't think we have enough room to exercise an over yet because the pace of these games was kind of sitting in that uh like 209 210 neighborhood and so when the total was right in that range i thought okay we're like sitting right on the edge line here the pace of the last of this last ball game actually did come down just the tiniest bit. Denver continues to not turn the ball over. Nuggets also missed some free throws, uh, but they hit 14 three-pointers and again shot close to 50% from the field. So they did just fine from an efficiency standpoint. The only six turnovers deal uh, was also a really uh, big reason why they were able to turn a lower number of possessions into a higher number of points. Miami was kind of the flip side of this. They had uh, eight more turnovers than did Denver in this ballgame. 14-6 to six was the final number there. Uh, they made their free throws going uh, 17 out of 20, where the Nuggets were, what, like 16 out of 20, 15 out of 21, something like that. 16 or 15 out of 21. Uh, Miami out-rebounded Denver by a tiny bit. They didn't hit their three-pointers. Overall, they shot 45%. Uh, but Miami, in, in this spot, again, kind of, turned slightly more possessions into slightly fewer points. Overall, though, uh, you're talking about the number of possessions in this series decreasing. So my hope going into this game was that the pace would stay somewhat similar, but you'd see a super low total, and that's not what happened. Instead, the total came down because the pace came down, and that's why the number moved down with it, although not as much as I'd want it to. So we were looking at maybe going back towards the over in a game five if the pace stayed at like 209, 210 and the total came down a little bit. Instead, uh, the pace has come down. Really more like 200. So now I might even consider an under, although you're going to see Miami again throwing all their punches. You're going to see uh, rampant free throw shooting and chucking late in the ball game. So I probably avoid the total 
And if anything, I, well, I liked the Nuggets, or I, sorry, I liked the Heat catching 10, not as much at 8.5. Probably is still ever so slightly into the Heat, but more than likely I'm just leaving this ballgame alone. So gambling side, uh, not really in my wheelhouse for this one. I don't think we have a ton of room. And the last thing I want to talk about today is not that Tyler Hero is probably going to play, and that may actually be why the number come, came down a tiny bit. And it's also not that Darko Ryakovich got hired by the Toronto Raptors. It's also not that Grant Williams underwent hand surgery. All these things did actually happen over the weekend, but none of them, in my opinion, really hit the radar as far as uh, relevant fantasy details go. I want to kind of try to keep sort of staying uh, within reach of sports ethos in the season recap bucket. And this Monday... We've got the Sacramento Kings, actually, as our team to recap. Now, those of you that have been listening to this podcast all year, you've heard me talk about how the Kings were our biggest over-season win total bet of the season. Uh, One of you actually complained that I brought it up too often, and it was annoying. I actually don't care because, look, I won a bunch of money on that. I'm hoping some of you guys did as well. I think it's fair to celebrate when, uh, like, one decision puts a bunch of cash in our pocket. As far as the Kings go on a contractual standpoint, they're in kind of an interesting little pocket right now. De'Aaron Fox is signed for a while. Kevin Herter, interestingly, is signed for a while. And then the young guys, Keegan Murray, Davian Mitchell, they've got them under under uh, team control for a little bit longer. Um, Rashawn Holmes is also locked in for at least one more year. And then, presume, I mean, with the way he's been playing, I've got to figure he would exercise his player option. So I guess that one... You can kind of throw on the books as well. But then the rest of the Kings are either off the books or in contract years. Malik Monk, who has said he wants to be in Sacramento long term, but, you know, that's kind of what you have to say, had a great season um, just, like, for what his role was. He had a wonderful season. Um, He had some really good games in the postseason when De'Aaron Fox had hurt his hand and they kind of needed somebody else to step up and do a bunch of extra scoring. Overall, though, his fantasy game didn't really translate when the team was healthy because Monk is mostly a scorer. Points, free throw percent. That's where he can excel. Three-pointers, I guess, as well. But there just sort of isn't enough going on for him to do that consistently. Not when Sabonis is out there, not when De'Aaron Fox is out there. Just too many names in front of him in the pecking order. Still, they liked what he did. He'll be back and he'll probably do roughly the same thing again. Kevin Herter got off to a blistering start this season and then kind of settled back into reality as the year went on, but he did end up finishing at top 90 on a per-game basis. He played in 75 of the team's 82 regular season ballgames, so by totals he was actually number 57. Uh, That's a good number all the way around. He probably gets drafted pretty late again next year, and there isn't, I mean, barring uh, a key signing by this team, there isn't a really big reason to think that his role changes considerably. I do think that his shooting probably comes down from 48.5%. Maybe the free throw number comes up to try to match that somehow. One one kind of fades off the other. Um, So probably he takes a small step backwards. Profiles maybe more as a 100 to 115 range. Possibly durable dude. That's more interesting on the head-to-head side than Roto. Keegan Murray played in 80 of the team's 82 regular season ballgames. An up-and-down year for Keegan. Finished at number 115 on a per-game basis. Obviously, yes, way better than that by totals because of the uh, 
playing in most of the games this year. But what did he actually do? He can average 12 points, 4.5 rebounds, 1.3 combined defensive stats, slight negative in both field goal and free throw percent, but 2.6 three-pointers and low turnovers. He was far better in 9-cat than 8-cat, and he was mostly a marginally efficient three-point getter from a guy playing mostly small and power forward. It's hard for me to point to that and say that was a critical add to anybody's fantasy team. I still find it downright hilarious that early this year there were there were analysts on Twitter suggesting you trade Kawhi Leonard away to get Keegan Murray. That hurt my heart. If you're out there listening, you hurt my heart. Now, I kind of want to circle back around to Keegan because one of the players coming off the books for the Kings is Harrison Barnes. And, you know, there's there's a, a possibility that he comes back. Maybe that's maybe he returns. But if he doesn't, it's conceivable that Keegan then slides up to play more power forward. And that's a big deal. Because this year, Demonis Sabonis pretty much grabbed every rebound on the team. He was the team's leading rebounder at 12.3. Second leading rebounder on the club was actually Keegan Murray at 4.6. And then Barnes at 4.5. Darren Fox at 4.2. Trey Lyles at 4.0. There wasn't really a second rebounder on the club, but Keegan could kind of be that guy. If he started to kind of own the rest of the front court, besides Sabonis, who's obviously going to be the man on the glass and the man in the middle, if there isn't another guy that's obviously the kind of small forward, power forward, flex pairing that those two guys had, that's a way that Keegan Murray gets himself inside the top 100. Because I don't know that you can point to anything and say, oh, well, his number of shots is about to rapidly increase. It just doesn't seem feasible. Not when De'Aaron Fox is taking 18. Sabonis handles the basketball almost every time down, does more uh, orchestration, perhaps, than shooting. Uh, Herder took 11.5 shots per game. Monk took over 10, and he's still on the club. All the, the team's top four field goal attempt guys, basically the team's top four usage players, are all signed for next year. Maybe we're one more year away from Keegan Murray taking that big step forward. Small step forward? Yeah, very reasonable. You could see the field goal percent, free throw percent, maybe all of that stuff takes a little tick forward. Maybe the rebounding takes a little tick forward. Even if the usage stays roughly the same, there are a couple of, not even all that narrow, kind of like medium-sized pathways for Keegan to get from 115 to more like 100. But I don't know that there's a path for him with the roster the way it's currently built to get higher than, like, 85 or 90. And he's probably going to get drafted because he had a, uh, a decent year, by all accounts, and the Kings play really fast, and, you know, he had name power. Although maybe people were like, ah, I didn't get what I wanted to out of him, and maybe he falls a little bit. So, yeah, we'll probably have to check out ADP stuff on Murray, and we have to wait and find out what the Kings do with Harrison Barnes, who we're basically just going to skip over for this discussion because... He took 9.7 shots per, per game this year. He has no chance of fantasy value if he's the fifth or sixth, I think, highest field goal attempt guy on the club. Like, if he doesn't have any usage, what the hell is the point? What about the big names on this club? Let's talk about the big names a little bit. That's Demonis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox. Fox solidified himself as the best fourth quarter player in the NBA this year. He was Mr. Clutch. He won that award, the first annual Clutch Player of the Year award. 
Averaged 25, 4, and 6 on 51% from the field and an improved 78% at the free throw line. And because of all of those giant leaps forward, De'Aaron Fox finally hit his ADP. After all these years, I don't know, this is like fourth, fifth year in the in the league for Fox now. I've lost track of time because it's fleeting, my friends. Time is fleeting and also at the same time just a construct, man. But it took all of that just to get him to number 42 on a per-game basis. He had, by all accounts, the best year anyone could have ever imagined for him. And he just got to his ADP. Field goal percent now was a bigger positive than free throw percent was a negative. That's pretty cool. Turnovers wasn't even all that bad at just two and a half per game. So it's not like you could just say, oh, well, like points league darling. Well, I mean, he was sort of that last couple of years with a bad free throw percent. And he's a punt free throw percent point guard kind of draft pick because he he doesn't help you at the foul line, even if he now doesn't hurt you nearly as much. And it's points and it's assists and... You know, steals were okay. Rebounds were okay for a point guard. Threes, kind of low. I don't think there's much left to tap into. Like, this was just an astronomical season for Fox. Could he replicate it? Maybe. Could he build upon it? Mmm. Like, could the free throw percent get to 80? Maybe. That's a, a small, incremental move you could possibly envision. Could the steals tick back up to 1.2, 1.3? Maybe. That's how he would inch ever so slightly forward. But I would also look at that and say, yeah, I mean, that does also feel like there's a just as reasonable a chance that free throw percent comes back down a tiny bit. Or maybe he doesn't take 18 shots per game. I don't know. So this, to me, is about as good as he's going to get. And with Sabonis... You know, I look at that and I see, I feel like it's a little bit more repeatable. He got exposed a bit in the postseason. Kind of wasn't ready to get knocked around the way that he did come playoff time. But, you know, regular season Sabonis, this feels like something he could basically do again. 19, 12, and 7. He handles the basketball a ton. The assists were not fluky. Steals and blocks are not that high for him, and they never will be. Free throws are a negative. Field goals a positive. Turnover's pretty high, again, because he's handling the basketball so much. Demontis Sabonis makes sense as a late second-round pick. And he was durable this year, which is pretty cool. He played through an avulsion fracture in his hand. The Kings will have less to prove during the regular season next year. They'll have more to prove in the playoffs. You'll probably see guys get a little bit more rest during the regular season. I don't think there will be quite that impetus to try to play in 80 games to prove you belong and now they've shown it so Sabonis feels like a very safe play where he most likely will get drafted next year Fox will probably get a little bit overdrafted because of his giant season Keegan Murray I don't know actually I don't think he could be that big of a value but I guess there's a chance that he becomes a bit of an afterthought and then becomes a very small value Kevin Herter, same general story. I don't think he's going to be a value because I just don't think he's going to be that good this year. But the story for both of those guys is kind of the same. They get there in different ways, but could they sit around 85, 90, 95, 100? Yeah, there's like a 50-50 shot of that. And could they get drafted at like 110, 115, 120? Yeah, there's probably like a 50-50 shot at that as well. And if that's what you're looking for, you get to pick 120 and you're like, you know what? I need threes. 
Well, do I have the team for you? Between those two guys, I probably would lean Murray for next year because I think Herter's field goal percent comes back down. And I think Keegan, he's got at least a shot to kind of improve upon his percentages while also maybe rebounding a little bit more. And then we'll see if the Kings make an adjustment in their front court. What do they do with the Harrison Barnes money? Does it go back to Barnes? Does it go to somebody else? Do you see more Trey Lyles in the mix? Because he actually did have a week or two in there where he was not horrible. Does Trey Lyles become more relevant if Demonis Sabonis misses 10, 15 games next year? Maybe that's your answer. Not a draft pick, but in a hamburger stream play. So the Kings are a relatively easy team to recap and handicap going forward because, again, Harrison Barnes is the only thing that's really up in the air for this club. Because Terrence Davis, Alex Len, Lyles, by the way, is a free agent, so maybe we shouldn't include him in this discussion. I'm probably try to bring him back, I guess. Uh, but the key guys are all still there outside of Barnes. Fox, three more years. Sabonis, contract year. Herder, three more years. Monk, one more. Murray, as many as four more, depending on how, you know, restricted and non-restricted team options and player options and all that stuff. Davion Mitchell, same general story. Not that he played all that much, but still. So there you go. That's the Sacramento Kings. That's the weekend report, and that is possibly today, maybe, the last show of this NBA regular season. We'll see. I am Dan Baspris for Fantasy NBA Today, Sports Ethos presentation. Back at you tomorrow. We will probably break down another team, although, ah, who knows? Maybe we'll break down what happened in the finals, and maybe I'll just take a nap in the middle of the show. It's the offseason. I do what I want. Later for now. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.